Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, stagnancy, ignorance. All of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady and your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The Book of Apostle Paul to Ephesians Chapter 4, verses 22-24 That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness. We are continuing to surround to surround the revelation that the Lord has given to his messenger, to our pastor. And as obedient children, we try not to be conformed with the image of this world, this age, but we transform our mind. As we know, there are three important verbs here. And this revelation sounds like the following, to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. To set aside the old way of life means to remove it, to die to it, to break off a relationship with the old way of life, to break off all relationship with it, and to renew with the Spirit, to reformat, to reformat our mind in such a way that our mind can become different, can become renewed. We know that renewal contains the process of death and resurrection. And an unrenewed mind is a mind that King Saul had. This person was not renewed before God and his mind was not renewed. But his grandchild, he represented and represents for us the image of a renewed mind. This was a person who was lame. He couldn't rely on himself any longer. He was so reformatted that it was impossible to know him as, as he had transformed because he went through the process of death and resurrection. 
And when he met with David, this was a person with a new mind. And he called himself a dead dog. This was his relationship towards. And we as obedient children, in such a manner, had followed that which the Lord has called us to, and He has called us through our pastor. We have heard, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we took this image of imitation, and we began to imitate. And God gave us mercy. And all of a sudden we understood that our mind is not the same as it was before. It now represents a new image and a new state. And of course, to be clothed into the new man, that which we are continuing to surround, to dwell in, to study, and to be, to be drenched in it. As we heard not too long ago, we need to present ourselves as a peace offering. We need to present this flower that is drenched with this oil, and we in the same manner present ourselves before God. So that that thumim that we have accepted, that teaching, for it to be drenched with the oil of the Holy Spirit in us in order to present, present it when we hear this preached word. It represents this oil, this word that we hear. And we are called to accept this in our spirit. And this is when we are able to understand it in our heart. And we, together with the prophet Isaiah, can together proclaim through our faith and to exclaim before God, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? Why all of a sudden there is this such joy? Because He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Isaiah chapter 61 verses 10 through 11. And our pastor has given us seven definitions. And this is taken from this place of scripture and from other places of Holy Scripture. From the common from the mutual spirit of scripture, these seven components that are very important, a certain fullness. First, clothed in the garments of salvation. Second, covered with the robe of righteousness, decked with the ornaments of a bridegroom, adorned with the jewels of a bride. Five, clothed in wedding garments. Six, clothed in linen, clean and bright. And seventh, having accepted the representative power of the Yahweh of hosts. We are continuing to dwell and to be immersed in and to surround the second, the second component that sounds like the following, clothed in the garments of robes of righteousness. Each of us is called to look upon God, to strive to God in order to present oneself before God as clothed, adorned. Blessed is he who is clothed in the temple so that he may not walk naked and so that the nakedness may not be shown. 
This is an important component. We ought to be vigilant and to collaborate with God for us to be clothed with the robe of righteousness. And we have already studied six components of the price for the right to be clothed in the garments of righteousness and have stopped at the seventh one. That is expressed in clothing, being clothed into redemption that is yielded by the observance of Pesach of the Lord according to the statute established by God. So there is an image of God that is presented and we are called to be clothed according to the statute just as the Lord does and offers for us to do. We know that the Pesach feast, even before the creation of the world, was meant by God to be the blessed fate of all of those who come to Him, in which God received the opportunity to fulfill judgment over His enemies who neglected His chosen remnant. Each detail of the yearly celebration of Pesach pointed to the final deliverance from the slavery to sin and death in the body, and in the future, the final deliverance from the decaying body itself and the mortal soul, which, thanks to worthy partaking of the Pesach lamb, will be clothed in immortality and imperishability. And there are contained the great treasures of the Lord, and for these treasures of the Pesach feast to become a reality, Scripture has imputed to us the necessity to fulfill ten conditions that are written in the twelfth chapter of the book of Exodus. This, this is the first one is to separate the Pesach lamb. Second, it is to remove all leaven from the home. Third, this is to anoint with blood the lentils and the doorposts. Fourth, this is to bake the whole lamb in fire. Five, this is to gird oneself with a sash. Six, this is to Put sandals on the feet. Seven, this is to take the staff in the hand. Eight, this is to eat the whole lamb fully. Ninth, this is to eat the lamb with bitter herbs and breads. And ten, this is to eat in haste. We have already looked at eight components and have stopped to study the tenth one. This is the requirement of worthy partaking of the basic lamb. It's the condition and the requirement. This is to eat the Pesach lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Exodus chapter 12, verses 8 and 10. They shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. It was necessary to fulfill all of this during this night. God, for the celebration of this feast, he outlined a specific time, and a person had to uh, had to cherish this time, cherish this time to be vigilant over it. And we know that time is a statute and law before which we must tremble. In our previous service, we already read what it means to eat the basic lamb with breads of purity and truth. Now, I remind you of the results that are revealed in the ability of those people who have become pure, thanks to the fact that they accepted their justification on the conditions of the grace of God. Seven signs that must be evident. This is not that this is that life, this is life. It is written in Scripture. 
He who wins will inherit all, or he who is victorious will receive the right to eat. Victorious or he who wins, this is continuously winning. Someone who walks in victory and dwells in it. Seven signs according to which we can test that we fulfill the worthy partaking of the Pesach feast and that we eat of these unlimited breads. The first sign of eating the Pesach of the Lord with unleavened breads of purity and truth will have the ability to separate or distinguish clean from unclean. Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle at meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. They may distinguish between holy and unholy and between clean and unclean. We've been taught how the priests, how the royal priesthood, as those that have been taken into the portion of God, as kings unto God. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we represent this royal priesthood. We know that it is not for kings to drink wine. And we're not just talking about literal wine, because someone who drinks wine in any kind of amount of qualities, he is going to stumble. God is going to deprive him of the ability to distinguish what is pure from what is impure, and he will begin to defile himself. But if it is uh, the spiritual wine drinking, this is false teaching. Remember the harlot, she had prepared a sacrifice, and she said, come to me, and she was standing at the gates, and she calls them. Because there is uh, the wine, there is that kind of wine which we must stray away from. This is the wine of mixing the revelations of God with our own understandings. We need to, in ourselves, not mix the Word of God with our own understandings, because we will be, we will be lost and won't be able to distinguish what is pure from what is impure. In the teaching of sanctification that we can accept, none other than through instruction and faith, that allows us to eat of the Pesach lamb with breads of purity and truth. We need to know where this comes from. The Lord said, I have given you my Sabbaths so that you may know that I am the Lord, him who sanctifies you. It's not that somebody has himself thought to sanctify it. All of a sudden he thinks to sanctify. God will stop him right away. I've already testified at cell group and you know, my testimony is as follows. Even not long ago, all of a sudden I had a thought, I'm going to take in this top, I'm just going to look at all of it in scripture. I want to look all of it from beginning from beginning to end. And you know, all of a sudden, as soon as this thought came, I th- it is in this service that we had here, I see the Lord correcting me. Don't do this, he said from the pulpit. God gave to Pastor Daniel's heart to speak this word, to correct. There is the Pesach feast. There is the covenant of peace. Be found in this peace. Be found in the church of God. And listen and and learn. This is the sanctification that you undergo. You don't need to do anything extra. You don't need to go outside of your territory. And God is merciful who corrects us and who teaches us 
How to observe this Pesach feast? I thought right away, this word is for me. And I even looked around from side to side. I, excuse me, I didn't even begin to look from side to side because I knew this word was directly meant for me. The second result of him who eats the Pesach of the Lord with breads of purity and truth will be able to call on the name of the Lord. And I will give to the people pure lips that all may call on the name of the Lord and serve him unanimously. I have noted for myself, without knowledge, without union, without union with the teaching of justification, not with greeting it or just meeting it or communication with it or a person comes across it but knowledge acknowledgement somebody who has united with this teaching and who dwells in it without knowledge of the teaching of justification that yields the breads of purity and truth we will never be able to have pure lips of course God in scripture had showed this many times and when the Lord of hosts was revealed to his prophet, he all of a sudden, before God, began to scream. I am a man with unclean lips, and I live among the people with clean lips. And all of a sudden, my eyes saw the Lord of hosts. What shall I do? Woe to me, I have perished. I cannot withstand. And God says, it's wonderful that you recognize that without the teaching of justification, you can't have pure lips. However grammatically correct you may be, however wonderful you may be, however disciplined you may be, and perhaps even religious and Christian from your young days, and you don't say swear words, and yet your lips are unclean. They are unclean, defiled, and woe to those. And we know that this teaching of justification God has shown, final if I'm not mistaken, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, he took the coal from the altar with the tongs and then he placed it to the lips so for a person to be able to, to touch his lips with these coals from the altar. And he says, Now your lips are pure. The lawlessness has departed. And of course, we see the service of the angels through whom the Lord does this with us. Because we perhaps have judged before, looked at them before, and then all of a sudden, how shameful it is. Lord, now I'm going to be silent. Now I'm not going to say, because I've understood that I used to speak in this way. And you saw me, and the saints saw me that I was causing this anguish. I was spreading these lies. I will be quiet. I am going to speak the word of God. And the Lord burns this from the mouth because the service of angels is very active and we know he says you will see more you will see these angels that ascend and descend God is going to do this and use this in order to deliver us from unclean lips and we have and we know that pure lips are bridled lips the third result of him who eats the Pesach of the Lord with unleavened breads of purity and truth 
will have the ability to see God in himself as well as near him. And the fourth one is to have the ability to lift up our hands to God. 1 Timothy 2.8 I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting the word of God that we have accepted in us. Sixth, to eat the pasik of the Lord with bitter, with, with unlimited breads will allow us to inherit the promise. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We see that lazy laziness is placed opposite of diligence. And when we have the full assurance of hope until the end, we in our final steps are being careful and cautious. We are found in such a state, and we hear and we know this and we see this. We are finalizing the final steps, and the Lord is preparing us for something remarkable and ordinary in order to inherit the promise of the redemption of our bodies. Therefore, there is no laziness that ought to be noted here. Seventh, the result of eating the Pesic Lord with unleavened breads of purity and truth will have the ability to not rely on his own riches or trust in his own riches. Proverbs 11.28 He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish, flourish like foliage. And this might be about literal riches, but there are not very many people that are rich if we look, take, if we look at it and consider it. There are very many people who are in need. And, you know, somebody, somebody has me perhaps little money and he thinks, if I had only this amount of money, I would live happily and I would wait for the Lord calmly. But he has little money. And of course, this then means that he has trust in in his riches. There are riches of a different character. There is a rich, riches of righteousness when a person says, well, I'm not like the others. I am good. I am disciplined. I am smart. Someone might hope in his own mind. Someone sings. Someone sings. Someone relies on their own. The, someone relies on their experience and the and the years that they have lived. When someone relies on his own flesh, on another flesh, and he places when he places his trust in these things, there is going to be a stumbling block. There, there must only be trust in the Lord. Well, having read this, we can see that the Lord has taught us. He has taught us. He has taught us to rely on His Word, to rely on Himself, to rely on His promise that He is faithful and unchanging in His Word. And we are taught to hold on to this hope and to be comforted by this hope. And of course, to look at the correct direction. Now let's turn to the bitter herbs because the statute of Pesach 
includes not just eating breads, but also eating bitter, bitter herbs. And we will take a look at what purpose they have in the Pesach feast. If we look at bitter herbs in the literal sense, then these were spices that were used for meat that was baked or roasted in the fire, which made it aromatic and tasty. But in this case, bitter herbs as part of the worthy partaking of Pesach is referring to the holiness of God that is given to us in the truth of the cross of Christ. And of course, you know, children. Children, they don't understand the taste of pepper. You give a child pepper, perhaps an infant, and they begin to scream and cry out. They don't like the taste of pepper. This bitterness and this spice, we begin to like when we grow and this awakens in us and then we all of a sudden understand that we need to add some salt, add some pepper and this is going to be very good. And of course, this is the same thing in the spirit. When a person matures, he then begins to understand that he can't he can't be without these bitter herbs and he can't without them show the perfection of God and he begins to ask Lord Lord I want to eat with the bitter herbs and if the breads of purity and truth in the teaching of the blood of the cross of Christ cleanses from all sin then the bitter herbs and the truth of the cross of Christ deliver us from dependence and authority and dependence of, on the flesh because it is the flesh that is the place of the birth and the cultivation of sin that makes us dependent on the curse of the law of Moses because until our fleshly man is abolished through the truth of the cross of Christ however much we might say that we are found under grace we will be found under the curse of the law this segment is clearly this this ultimately is not accepted well by somebody who has a carnal mind. First Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Jesus Christ cried out, He said, I thank you, Father, heaven and earth, that you have uncovered this for the for the infants for the children when we dwell in the order of god all of a sudden god begins to reveal the importance of the cross of christ and we see the treasures that are contained the treasures that are contained and we begin to cry out to god lord judge me am i on a dangerous path before this we say well i think everything is okay i'm going together with the church I'm listening to everything I'm going to church I try to fulfill everything well this is great praise God however at a certain moment we begin to cry out to God the Lord judge me uncover all in me and God is based on our words when we say Lord don't don't dig deep in me don't don't dig too deep I've accepted the blood of Christ I'm found under grace, that's wonderful, that's it, that's all I need, someone may think. But we are growing, we are eating of the food and we are growing. This is a sign that we are growing. Having, a correct relation, have an in, having an incorrect relationship 
towards the acceptance of Christ in our essence, in union with the bitter herbs with which we had to eat the Pasic lamb, partaking of the Pasic lamb in the past and in the present, is seen in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them. The reason why our burnt offerings and the subject of our prayers and our songs become unpleasing and unacceptable to God is comprised of our incorrect priorities. Specifically, then and today, if on the pedestal priorities our sacrifice and the subject of our prayers and songs become higher than the position of hearing the word of God that is directed to immediately fulfilling what we hear, then our sacrifice, instead of activating the favor of God, it activates His wrath. Because under hearing the word of God, we are referring to waiting for what God is going to say in our trembling desire and readiness to immediately and irrefutably fulfill what we hear. You know, I've caught myself at this idea that when I go to church, when I go into the house of God, and there is a place of scripture that shines, walk prudently when you go into the house of God. And when I sit down, and when I look at this place of scripture, and I begin to analyze, I came I, I came in, did I come correctly? Did I prepare my heart? And I, at one point, was preparing my heart in such a way. I said, Lord, tell me that I'm right. This is how I prepare myself. Give me uh, evidence or testimony that I've done everything correct. And when something like this is digged up in my essence, dug up in my essence, that tells me that I'm not exactly fully correct, then I begin to... I begin to resist this. I say, well, I've prepared my heart. But no, I've prepared my heart for for the sacrifice of fools. And even when I say, Lord, please affirm that my sacrifice is corrupt. But then God taught me that it turns out that it's wonderful when we hear this evidence and when God says, good, good, this is great. My readiness is comprised of me needing to prepare my ear to being corrected. And when my heart is prepared in such a way, then it is easy for God to correct me. Otherwise, I begin to resist, and I've caught myself at this thought, and I resisted it and turned away from it. And at a certain moment, I begin to taste the sweetness when I hear that I am corrected, I think, okay, this means that the Lord wants to see me perfect. This is very important. If we remain without this kind of correction, then we are not lawful children. But if He corrects us sometimes, and He might, with His word, correct us, this means that we are His true sons and daughters. And again, we heard this on Sunday. Pastor Daniel reminded us the words of our pastor in the teaching. And that word, what it means, because for many people, this remains a closed-off book. What is, you've done this, and you've done this, you've labored and not grow, grow, grow weary. Now remember, long ago, Pastor began to talk about this topic, and I sat there, and I was very tired 
I was battling, should I go to church or not? Because I was sick, it was difficult for me, and I used all of my energy to come to church. I labored, did not grow weary, I fulfilled my calling, and so forth, as I thought. And I hear the following words, but I have against you this. And I thought, what else, Lord, do you need from me? And I understand, and I realize that there's something else, and I couldn't quite put a finger to it. And you know, when we humble our, our hearts, and when we say, I am ready, if there's something else that is needed, you know, we need to die. I'm trying, laboring. If I am tired, I have no more strength and energy. But then all of a sudden, I need to die. There is still something living in me that has not died. And this is the process of death that we endure. And then the Word of God penetrates us, this double-edged sword. It cuts out what doesn't belong there. And there is a feeling of pleasantness because we have died in this instance we are headed towards another direction and the Lord in the teaching of blessing and curses this curses or this holiness it blesses a person because the teaching of curse goes against the flesh but when we have a separate, if we have not had the separation between the soul and the spirit that has not gone through deeply, then then it begins to grow sick, and we feel this. And at this time, we grow. Because under hearing the word of God, we were referring to our attention and inner patience to what God is going to say and our trembling desire and readiness to immediately and irrefutably fulfill what we have heard because it is specifically hearing the word of God that is eating or placing Christ in our essence and not the sacrifice in the subject of what we say or sing to God which oftentimes we place as primary and the pastor says that we do this they are not those in other places and other churches this is referring to us because I've noticed myself at this thought when I hear a music I in my eyes uh, I think about neighboring churches that are not like us I then think well why then does our pastor write this that we ought to do this Because we ought to be in a new quality before God, to go from strength to strength and appear before God in Zion. This is the battle of these four heavenly winds that battled on the great sea. In this battle that took place, the battle of the winds. And of course, you know, God says, until we place a seal on the foreheads, then judgment will begin. God first judges the church. He judging it brings it to perfection and then he is ready to pour out and to hit his judgment, hit with his judgment the world, the judgment of which we will partake to in the subject that we proclaim with our lips. These garments of, of, of righteousness, these robes of righteousness we know is referring to those that are of the church. Hearing the word of God is placing Christ in our essence. As we said, we are reformatting the format of our mind in our essence. Because 
And so, for those who on their pedestal priorities place the Word of God as primary and the sacrifice and the subject of the faith of their heart before God secondary, here, this is going to Someone who places the offering of sacrifices primary and hearing the word of God secondary, then this will be the stone of stumbling to these people. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is not for the surrounding people. This is God sanctifying Jerusalem. The reason why people build their priorities, whether they be correct or incorrect, is contained in the soil of their heart. And the kind of soil of our heart depends on our position or our goal. If our goal is faithful, then the soil of our heart will be good. But if our goal is unfaithful, then the soil of our heart will not be acceptable for accepting the good seed but the goal itself will be expressed in whose interests we pursue and represent, ours or God's. If we're going to represent the interests of God in the subject of the interests of our reborn spirit, then the soul of our spirit will be good. If we represent the interests of our flesh, then the soul of our spirit will be evil. And if all of a sudden I've seen that my goals are incorrect, I need to reformat them, redirect them. How do we change our goals? This depends on hearing the Word of God. When we hear the Word of God, and all of a sudden, we understand that the essence, the root, is not here, but there. The accent is not here, but there. This brooch that I have placed here, and this nose this nose ring that I have put on, and I say, look how this ring is. All of a sudden, we need to take this nose ring and place it somewhere else on our ear, or to redirect it. And we constantly dwell in this word, and then when we go to cell groups, we again, pondering upon this word, we are becoming drenched with this word. And when we do this correctly, we become different people, completely different people. We are changing. God changes us through this, through this dwelling in the word of God. Luke chapter 8, verses 15 and 18. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And Jesus said, Therefore take heed how you hear. And he says, Take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever has this good inclination or favor toward the word of God, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. To keep in our good and clean heart, this is talking about our conscience that is cleansed from dead works. Good and clean heart, all the dead works must be taken from them. Dead works are those that appear good, that seem good to us, but that have been inspired not by God but by our flesh. There is a goal behind them and a motive. And the Holy Spirit uncovers for us the essence of where these goals and motives come from. And of course, we ought to check ourselves. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's very difficult. Do you know where the goal and motive is verified here? When this word of God, we hear it, 
and our heart is prepared. Here the Lord redirects our motives and He redirects our paths, and in such a way He corrects us. As you see, you can listen differently. There is a kind of wise thing. We hear that which we want to hear. I remember one instance before where a person had moved here specifically in order to go to our church from a different place. And when he began to attend, he was the head of a family and we were in good relations. All of a sudden he says, I'm not going to go to this church anymore. We were still young, still not married, and we're saying, well, why all of a sudden? What happened? He says, the pastor of the church, Brother Arkadi, said of himself that, I am the bright and morning star. When did he say this? Well, during the last service, he said this. I'm not going to go to this church anymore. And I always said, well, he could not have said that of himself. He cited a place of scripture, and this person is saying, nope. He was talking and saying a sermon, and he said that I am the bright and morning star. He who desires come to me. And we explained to him, well, let's take this cassette. Let's again re-listen to it. There he specifically cited a place of scripture, and this person said, uh, he said this of himself, and he left, and he took his family away from the church. He wanted to hear this, and he heard it. And Pastor mentions, again, we he, he, this phrase, we hear that which we want to hear. And people often don't want to hear about bitter herbs, about the richness of the grace of God. We can hear with an intention so that we can hear. Sometimes people say, he said that we can be rich. And they say, oh, I no longer want to hear anything else. This church is great. He took this and then he left. This is what he wanted to hear. It's what his flesh wanted to hear. Another says, we are called to be poor because Lazarus was poor. person thinks we this is what he said therefore this is what I have heard a person who hears with the intention of fulfilling the desires of the flesh is someone who does not accept the truth contained in the cross of Christ this person tries to eat the basic lamb without bitter herbs someone who hears with the intention of fulfilling the desires of his spirit is someone who uses in his salvation the truth of the cross of Christ he eats the basic lamb with bitter herbs Revelation chapter 10 verses 10 through 11 Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter And he said to me You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings Bitterness is a wonderful feeling because God is achieving what He wants because when we have bitterness inside, in our stomach, as it is written here, we become pleasing to God to be in because He likes to eat of us, to feed of us, and a sacrifice specifically that we offer because we feed the Lord when we offer Him a sacrifice. 
And when this teaching is in our spirit, the teaching of blessing and curses, and when we correctly balance it, and we do not separate it, not just eat bitter herbs or unleavened breads, but we do this according to the statute. Then it says that he gives authority and the power to prophecy about showing a light. The prophet always prophecies. When you gather, for example, at cell groups, if one is speaking and one person comes up to me after cell groups saying, is it all right that I interrupted you? You were talking and I interrupted you. And then he thought, and then I thought, I'm so glad that you interrupted me. This was a prophetic word. I was quiet and you spoke because this, and I, I was happy of this testimony that he shared in this prophetic word that he had. And I don't know, I as a leader, I would like for everyone around to prophesy and for me to be able to listen to these words and to be, ple- and this is something that just came to my mind right now. Because remember, as Moses said, oh, if among the people the true prophecy would be prophesied, sometimes you might ask, does anyone have a testimony? People are quiet. Perhaps they don't have anything to share. They can't prophesy and they don't want to. But when there is no prophetic word, yes, one must be quiet. And he said to me, Yes, must prophecy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This means to represent for them the interests of the kingdom of heaven and to be a guiding light. Someone who refuses to eat of the basic lamb with bitter herbs cannot be a light to the world in which he lives. And therefore, this kind of person refuses to fulfill his calling, because of which he loses his dignity in God. It is when the opened book was eaten and John acknowledged the essence of God he received the ability to represent the interests of the will of God to the nations, tribes, tongues, and kings. An open book is not something that is material that carries information that is written with ink, but this is something spiritual that carries in it information that is written not by ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. In fact, an uncovered book that is offered to us by God for food that is called to produce in the depths of our spirit bitterness in the subject of the cross of Christ are those bitter herbs with which we ought to eat the basic lamb, which, in union with these bitter herbs, is our inheritance and our fate. Partaking of the basic lamb with bitter herbs showed the transcendent holiness of God because it is the truth about the cross of Christ and not the truth about the blood of Christ that is called by God to separate us from our nation, our household, and our perishable and vain inheritance. Thus, the truth about the cross of Christ representing the holiness of God in the subject of these bitter herbs has a differing action depending on how we relate to these bitter herbs and how we eat of them, how we eat of them. When the word of God, when the man of God, through the preached word, when he corrects us and when we hear this, when we with joy accept this word, when I understood this thought and pastor says, comes to me and says, I need to correct you. And before I was, I, before I thought, I'm trying with all of my might, why am I being corrected? 
but even those that try with all everything that they have they ought to be corrected and and when i understood this i said pastor akadi can i interrupt you i want to tell you for me i consider it a great honor that you are going to correct me please correct me and he corrected me and i had endured the great a great joy from this i finally understood what this is referring to and this was not long ago you know there are early tomatoes and there are latter tomatoes and i understood this not long ago and sometimes we say let the righteous correct me but as soon as the righteous begins to say something then all of a sudden we begin to grow in turmoil inside from the words of this righteous man but i had endured such great joy such blessing when he corrected me i said i'm listening i'm going to strive to fulfill it and i again want want to tell you for me this is the greatest honor to be corrected by such a person as you because the righteous one the messenger of god and of course in this is expressed the care of the father and the care of our god who cares to fulfill that which he has promised us thus the truth about the cross of christ that represents the holiness of god has differing actions depending depending on how we relate to these bitter herbs if we eat the basic lamb worthily then the bitter herbs have one action and if not then they have a different kind of action with regard to this we should know that there exists a different kind of bitterness that is placed opposite of bitter herbs and oftentimes due to certain ignorance in this fear it is accepted by saints as the presence of bitter herbs we should not we should not confuse these two together there are the sufferings of god and the holiness of god and there is punishment for sin and these are different things just as job in his sufferings he mistakenly thought that the bitterness that he had endured was the result of that which god imputes imputed to him the sins of his youth and he said job 13:26 for you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth and with these words job said to god you are showing your holiness upon me and my perdition because you're imputing me to the sins of my youth however we should know that the bitterness that he endured was not the result of that which god imputed to him the sins of his youth we knew that god said of him that this person was blameless he was god-fearing and somebody who is righteous according to scripture the sins of the youth can be imputed to a person only in two cases first if this person has not rebuked his inheritance yielded by dependence on his nation and the vain life of his fathers this means that he has not torn his dependence on his nation and the house of his father first we rebuke we reject we through this literal words through these little words we write our agreement or document this document of course is in us sometimes we imagine a document some kind of piece of paper a seal all of this is written in our body in our essence we place a signature with our words i reject the vain life and then we begin to thank god and we dwell in this because the righteous dwelling in the word of god this will lead it to reality on the basis of this law that is engraved that is written we will truly break our dependence on our nation and on our household we will stop being dependent and our household and our people will begin to depend on us and secondly when in the spirit of a person there is deceitfulness yielding in his heart a thought that is rebelling 
when a person agrees only to 95% and then disagrees on something, this means that he has a thought that is rebellious according to some, uh, based on some kind of question. And this is his unacceptance of the authority of God. When someone says, well, I agree 95% to everything pastor says, if we even have 1% of disagreement, we do not demonstrate our partaking to the body. Because the body, here there is no agreement or disagreement. The body submits to the head, and it is mutually dependent. It is dependent on the body. When the body is in disagreement at 1%, this is a cancer cell that immediately must be tossed out. And if we don't reject this thought that is rebellious, it is then going to transform into this cancer cell and begin to begin to, uh, begin to multiply. When David had cut off from the tunic of Saul, all of a sudden he felt pain inside. It became painful for the heart of David. He began to be broken inside. He tried to, he went out for a risk, and David went out to death, and he said, My father, what are you doing? And he uncovered himself fully. And he did not use the fact, he said, look, I could have killed you, here's my testimony, but it was painful for him that he uncovered the person sent by God from this kind of angle. Psalms 32.2, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In the spirit, in the spirit of Job, there lacked deceitfulness, and Scripture called him righteous. We don't have a guarantee that we will escape the bitterness that comes from devil, but we are given the guarantee that partaking of the Pesach lamb, worthy partaking with bitter herbs, we are going to be delivered from the bitterness of devil. Psalms 34 and 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The essence is comprised of the fact that we, when like Israel, we endure in Egypt the bitterness of slavery. Then the source of this is not God but devil. But when we partake of the of the of the lamb with bitter herbs, we demonstrate the holiness of God. We destroy slavery to illnesses and poverty in us. And so, if we do not show the holiness of God expressed in sanctification and we eat the Pesach lamb without bitter herbs, then we partake unworthily, because of which we call upon ourselves the perdition of God. To worthy partake of Pesach with bitter herbs is possible when we are sanctified and in our spirit there is no deceitfulness. There is no self-willed sanctification when we do this according to the statute and in the body. Because you know, there must be such a careful work here, that a spiritual work, that is, that a person on his own can't know him so that he himself can sanctify him to be pleasing to God. He can't do this on his own. Therefore, God has said, I have given you the Sabbaths as a sign. I have placed you in the church, and this sign is contained, this trembling, 
the trembling of this sign is that I am going to sanctify you through the church in such a way. And thus God is comforted. And God knows our hearts. And when we come to this place with ready hearts, and when we gain mercy before the face of the Lord, God is going to fill us. He's going to satisfy us and give us the opportunity to eat of these bitter herbs. If upon worthy partaking of the Pesach of the Lord someone has deceitfulness, then to him will be immuted the sins of his youth which he has done, as well as the sins that were inherited by him from the vain life of his fathers. If upon worthy partaking of Pesach, or upon partaking of Pesach, someone does not have in his spirit deceitfulness, but for whatever other reason he is sanctified, not according to Scripture, God deprives him of the inheritance of the promised land, and he falls as bones in the wilderness. He cannot enter into the land of the promises of God, because to partake of the Pesach of the Lord with bitter herbs and the subject of the holiness of God, expressing the truth of the cross of Christ, means to collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ. And breads in the subject of the blood of Jesus have an unordinary power to satisfy the requirements of God as well as all our necessary needs that are tied to our salvation in Christ. When we partake of them, these breads satisfy God and us, and they are the true food and the true drink before God. And the truth about the cross of Christ and the subject of bitter herbs is that opportunity that opens to us the path to the inheritance that is contained in the breads of purity and truth that are contained in the truth about the blood of Christ. So it uncovers for us the potential and the ability to open this promise in our life. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 20, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should well, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Because of which we should know that without partaking of bitter herbs in the subject of the truth of the cross of Christ, the truth contained in the blood of Christ and the subject of breads cannot be realized. Mark chapter 8 verses 34 to 36. When he called the people to himself with the disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Mark chapter 8 verses 34 36. We will lose our soul when we try to save it, when we don't present it on the altar of the Lord. The salvation of our soul is to present it on the altar of the Lord. In this condition of Christ, we are met with our role in the taking up of our cross. From this verse it follows that following after Christ without our cross will not bring us any benefit. Because without collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ, the manufacture of sin in the face of our old nature cannot be liquidated. And there will not be the old man when we rise. God meant for it to be liquidated while we remain in the body, and He promised this for us. And if it was not, and we come before the Lord, He will come, He will rise.
where else would he go? He is liquidated through death, removed through the doctrine of curse. The doctrine of curse, the teaching of curse, is called to put him to death. So, in other words, this old man must be cast out into the underworld. And thus, this person will not be capable of being a disciple of Christ or being able to follow him. Christian, following after God, you know, it's not oftentimes easy to follow after Christ. Sometimes people say, what a wonderful pastor there is in Portland. Simply wonderful person. And after five minutes, they yell and say, this person is a um, is a heretic. And we, for a long time now, are near a pastor. And we see the reaction of people when they find out what church we go to. They say, oh, it'd be better for you to run away from there. Thus, the taking up of our cross is tied to a certain kind of suffering that forms us into the image of God. Apostle Paul wrote about this. That I wrote about these sufferings, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, when I came to pastor, I had a very difficult moment in my life. Very difficult. This was frightening. And when I shared with him, he looked at me with shining eyes and he says, these are the sufferings of Christ. God has allowed you to endure it. And at that time he was dying. I was dying. And he knows what is beyond death. It is resurrection. And his eyes shone and he said, God has allowed you to endure the sufferings of Christ in, in, a, in a partial, in a, in, a, in a part. And I saw that this for him, that which he saw, This is that to which God has called us to, to partake of His sufferings. You're not suffering for, for sins, but you are in the fellowship of His sufferings. And Scripture says that when we, suffering, when we look not at the visible, we say, thank God. Thank God when the prophet of God is able to turn our eyes and say, don't look at this. Don't look at that which perishes. Don't look at that which grows dead, that which is ill, that which undergoes death. Don't look at this. Look at the invisible. And when we look at the invisible, then it, with great abundance, produces this eternal glory. And of course, we become heirs of the glory of God. In order to attain to the resurrection of the dead and to rise up in glory, Speaking of sufferings, we should know that not every kind of suffering forms the character of a person into the image of God. Because the result of the sin that we have made is also suffering, but this kind of suffering does not formulate a person into the image of God or partakes to the carrying of the cross. The phrase, follow after me, means follow me as I fulfill the will of my Father. So that, so for truth to collaborate, for the truth of our cross to collaborate with the cross of Christ, we need to look at one of the parables of Christ that is the universal pearl and serves as a light for the understanding of many truths. This is the, the parable about the, about the prodigal son 
who inherited the kingdom of his father, and about his older brother who deprived himself of this inheritance, although in his own eyes he saw himself as worthy of this inheritance. According to this parable, if we, like the older son, have friends, which simultaneously are not the friends of our Heavenly Father, we cannot inherit the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. Luke chapter 15, verses 28-32 But he was angry, the older son, and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. This is the relationship of God toward people who are found in the church. But they have something that is of their own. This one, five, seven, ten percent, twenty percent that they don't accept. Their own friends, their own understandings is what they have. He says, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. So somebody whose name written in the book of life, it would be blotted out. You are always with me and all that is I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Our friends, which are not the friends of the Father, are our carnal and fleshly desires, lusts and ambitions. For us, as those that have accepted the deposit of salvation to inherit the kingdom of the Father, we need to be clothed into the clothing given by the Father. And for this reason, the Father had to pierce the calf for His Son. This is the same idea in Christ. He, When He looked at this, He said, I say to you that, that the harlots will inherit the kingdom of God faster than you because they know that they need to 100% take off this image of life from them and need to be clothed into a new clothing, a new way of life. Someone who looks at his empty carnal life, and you know, we at Cell Group, we were talking with a person, and he said, I believed in God, but I don't serve. And I looked at him and I said, well, it's easy for you to turn to God. The person that serves him, he serves in his own way or he is hypocritical. It will be difficult for him. But this one, he is already uncovered before God. And I said, well, the time is drawing near. Let's go to God. It's very easy for this kind of person to turn. But the older son... For us as those that have accepted the deposit of salvation to inherit the kingdom of the Father, it is necessary to be clothed in the choicest clothing that is given by the Father and put shoes and receive um, receive a ring for our hand. And for this reason, the Father had pierced the calf. The older son, although he never left the Father, he never truly had the correct relationship with the Father, and he never had shared with him his joy, yielding the atmosphere of his home. The presence and the heart of a person of unblemished joy defines in this heart of this person the presence of the kingdom of heaven. This is written in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The lack in the heart of a person of unblemished joy is refusal to collaborate with God in keeping oneself from, from stumbling. 
Jude chapter 1 verse 24 Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This is what God does. We collaborate with his word. He does this with us in the church. He brings us to this unblemished joy. And so the reason for the lack of unblemished joy in the heart of the older son, not allowing him to enter into the joy of his father, was comprised of the fact that he had his own friends, who were never the friends of the father. He had his own garments, which also was not the garments of the father and did not meet the requirements of the father. Third, he did not have on his hand the ring that would partake him to the house of his father. And fourth, he did not have sandals on his feet that could be the shoes that his father has, the sandals that his father has. The young son is he who died to his friends that are expressed in his own carnal and fleshly desires, which means that he lost his soul and he refused his own righteousness. Second, as a result of the loss of his soul, he could receive the garments of righteousness given by the Father. And third, he received this ring from the Father on his hand, which yielded his partaking to the house of his Father. And fourth, he received the sandals of his Father, which was the weapon of light, giving him the right and power to represent the royal authority of his Father in his perfect justice. These are the robes of righteousness that we're referring to here. In this case, the garments are the robes of righteousness. The ring on the hand and the sandals on the feet point to the fact that this younger son lost his soul in the face of his friends for his father and his kingdom. He took up his cross and he was clothed in the disciple of Christ. Mark 8, 34-36. Again, this place of scripture. When he had called the people to himself, he said, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And so it is the presence of three components in the subject of the robe of righteousness, the ring, and the sandals is evidence that this kind of person took up his cross and followed after Christ. And second, that this person was clothed in humility, expressed in the dignity of a disciple of Christ, ready to collaborate in the taking up of his cross with the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17-18 through 18, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. First, in these words, we are met with not the contents of the opportunities of our cross, but with the power and opportunities of the cross of Christ. And second, from these words it becomes clear that without collaborating the taking up of our cross with the cross of Christ, all of our losses and all of the actions that may seem good in our eyes is simply a waste of time that is given to us as well as our life. And third, from these words it follows that collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ is possible only through the principles of the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God in which our faith contained in the taking up of our cross is called to dissolve the faith of God that is contained in the cross of Christ. We should recognize that that commandment that was the perfect will for the Son of God in the status of the Son of Man is called to be the perfect will for us. 
and given at the perfect will of the Father, for the Son was the cross, prepared and meant for him by the Father before the creation of the world, then practically it was this calling that was the commandment that Christ had received from his Father. In the literal sense, the cross is the weapon of the plague of death or the highest measure of punishment that was practiced in the ancient world. And in part, the Israelites, and that was legalized by Rome for all servants and those that were not citizens of Rome. This was the most shameful way to die, the most despicable and the this was a form of punishment that existed. However, in Scripture, the cross, despite its literal meaning as the weapon of the plague of death, also has a symbolic meaning. Based on the meaning of a cross in relation to man, in relation to Christ, it has a complete difference. And if the blood of the cross of Christ was called to destroy the sin that we had committed, then the cross of Christ was called to abolish the manufacture of sin in the subject of our old nature, inherited by us from the vain or the sinful life of our forefathers. And so, collaboration with the truth of the blood of Christ blots out the sin that we have committed, whereas the collaboration with the truth of the cross of Christ abolishes in our body the manufacture of sin. We are referring to this idea from different angles. Again, the truth of the cross of Christ abolishes the manufacture of sin only when we apply our energy, our strength, in the collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ. So we must intentionally carry our cross, understand the action of the cross of Christ, and intentionally implement it into our essence to implement, use our energy to implement it. The carrying of our cross on the subject of fulfillment of our calling is tied to some kind of suffering which forms a person into the image of God. The phrase, follow me, says, imitate me as I fulfill the will of my Father expressed in His commandments for me that are comprised of the fact that I lost my life so that I can once again gain it. In the same way, you also fulfill the commandments given for you that are comprised of losing your life in my death so that you can gain it again in my resurrection. So, fulfilling the commandment of God, we are going to die to ourselves. God, in this manner, is going to lead us. And sometimes this is an objective calling, an objective commandment. Sometimes it is subjective. God will say, you do this. Shepherd my flock. Do this. Fulfill this. You are going to go to, go to, um, to choir practice. You're going to be a leader. You are going to carry the, the bread and the wine. And God sometimes has the subjective will for God for us, which we are called to fulfill, the service in the church that we carry. Jesus came to fulfill the will of His Father. The fulfillment of this will for Him was necessary and the beloved food of His. That's why all of His energy and opportunity and capabilities were directed at searching for the fulfillment of the will of His Father. John 4, 32-34, But He said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In the truth about the cross of Christ is contained the order of God in his holy theocracy. Thus, in the collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ, we will mention twelve components of the collaboration of our cross with the twelve components of the cross of Christ. The number twelve in Scripture yields the order of God 
and the order of His kingdom in the temple of our body. And I place these 12 components of the collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ in these notes. And I figured that according to the length of the sermon, I won't have time to read it, but I wanted for us who wanted to remember, be reminded, and Pastor Daniel in our previous sermon during communion, we he had read these 12 signs of the collaboration of our cross with the cross of Christ while we were partaking in this communion. And we continually read about them and we hear about them, and it's good for us to be reminded of them. And this is a kind of uh, memory before our eyes that we all must have. But right now, our time has drawn to an end. We are going to pray. And if God allows, next time we will talk about the final concluding component of the fulfillment of the Pesach feast according to the statute. This is to eat this, eat this Pesach in haste, to eat this lamb with haste. Right now, we are going to pray. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, upon collaborating our faith with the faith of God, we're going to pray for God to be able to implement, to implement these bitter herbs and to teach us and to continue to teach us to eat of the Pesach lamb with the bitter herbs and unleavened breads. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for your great mercy. The great mercy that we have to be at this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you for this goal and for this calling. We thank you that we have been able to hear the voice of God, to hear your voice in the words of your messenger. And you have caught us in the snare of your word. You have brought us to your treasures. And you have placed us in the church into your body which is the fullness that fills all in all which is the image of Sarah Jerusalem on high who is the mother to us all we thank you we thank you for the mercy of being found at the breast of our mother to eat of this milk to grow to come from strength to strength dying and rejecting our soul and the old nature the old essence this program of the prince of darkness in us we thank you that you have taught taught us that in the taking up of our cross with the cross of Christ we are able to disqualify and to abolish the program of sin and death in our body 
We thank you for this truth, this truth that is neglected, that is not accepted by the majority of so-called Christians. We have accepted this truth together with the unleavened breads and bitter herbs. We have realized that we cannot use the goodness of the kingdom of heaven if we don't offer in ourselves the partaking of the lamb with bitter herbs. And we have began to accept your word in which is the teaching about blessings and curses. We have recognized that in this is your love. And when it seemed to us as though something was perishing in us, it was this old nature that was perishing. It was the authority of the old man that was abolished. For us in the death of the Lord Jesus, conforming in his death, through the partaking of his sufferings that we could know and be transformed into the image of the Lamb in order to present your holiness. As your word says, pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And to us you have opened by the Holy Spirit that you will allow your saints to see your countenance. And because of this, we have refused our goals, we have refused our life, we have refused our intentions, we have forgotten our people in the house of our Father, and we have declared war to our perishable desires. In a for your desires and goals, and you have made us a good land, and have begun to sow the seed of the promises of God. We thank you that these seeds grow, and that these promises of God is the hope in us. It becomes so great that despite the fact that Despite what is happening in this world, and it is shaking and, and being torn apart, we begin to endure a joy that is high and uplifted, because we see in this that your coming is near, your day is near. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for our pastor, for the word that you have laid in his spirit. We thank you for this opportunity and mercy to dwell in these words, to grow in them, and to become a royal heritage, kingdom of priests, that we could live in your promises that we can inherit your promises and so that we can show victory over this world and in this world through your promises, the promises of your word,
the promises of life and resurrection. As the Lord lives, our eyes shall see the victory, full victory in our bodies, according to the word of the Lord. We lean on our beloved in the proclamation of these words. Mighty is the Lord who has brought us out from slavery unto Egypt. Strong is He to lead us into the promised land. For you have placed and said that this inheritance is ready to be revealed to the end times. You have prepared it. You have prepared it. You have prepared the lamb from the beginning of days. And we thank you for this inheritance to which you are leading us and our eyes see this. We tremble before your order, before your preached word. We don't want to wound the Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Guide us with your seal and keep us in your hand so that no one may take us away from it. We're going to look at the invisible, proclaim and call the invisible as visible and thank and glorify you waiting for your coming from heaven. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this bread, daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we will conclude with our manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy. To God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.